History, economics, the great works of literature, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution. Did you study these things in school? Probably not. Or even if you did, like I did, maybe it's time for a refresher. Time and technology have changed a lot of things, but they have not changed basic fundamental truths about the world and our place in it as America. That's why I'm so excited that Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses in the most important and enduring subject. You can learn about the works of C.S. Lewis, the stories in the book of Genesis, the meaning of the U.S. Constitution, the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, or the history of the ancient Christian church with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, you heard me, for free. You don't get anything free in the Biden economy today. I personally recommend you sign up for the American Citizenship and its Decline. It's with my good friend, the great historian, Victor Davis Hanson. In this eight-lecture course, VDH, as I like to call him, explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. So start your free course, American Citizenship and Its Decline, with my good friend, Victor Davis Hanson, today. How do you do that? Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash justnews to start. It's free and it's easy to get started and it's an easy URL to remember. All you got to do, go to hillsdale.edu slash justnews. One more time, hillsdale.edu slash justnews. America and happy Tuesday. We got a great show for you today. We're going to spend a good part of it talking about the lack of fiscal responsibility in Washington, the lack of progress under House Republicans. Yeah, Mike Johnson's only been in for a few weeks, so he gets a pass. But the a larger Republican caucus has had 11 months to trim the government, to get true spending cuts, to get their spending bills done, and they ain't got it finished. And today, we have to have a candid conversation about that. We're going to start with a man who has a long record of fiscal responsibility as governor of Arkansas. Mike Huckabee's in the house at the top of the show. I'm really excited about that. In the second block, we're going to turn to our good friend Brandon Arnold at the National Taxpayers Union, a place where a lot of honest conversation about fiscal responsibility is ongoing, even as folks in Washington struggle to rein in runaway spending under Joe Biden, under even Republicans in the Senate and the House. The National Taxpayers Union is working on real solutions. One of them, a fiscal commission that would have real power, meaning that its recommendations that it makes to cutting government, shrinking the deficit, would actually have to be voted on by Congress. Congress would actually have to take up the measures and not kick it down the road or treat it like an academic exercise. Brandon Arnold's here in the second block of the show to give us an update on that. And in the third block of the show, we're going to bring in my amazing colleague from Just the News, Natalia Middlestadt. She had a great story this morning. After more than almost a year of mystery, we now know one of the core allegations against the former elections chief in Prince William County, Virginia. Prince William County is one of the bellwether counties in all of America, one of the battleground counties for determining how elections play out. Michelle White, the registrar there, was indicted a year ago. She's no longer the registrar. She's been removed now. But the charges were nebulous. We didn't know what she's accused of doing. Well, today we do. But based on court files that we obtained under an open records request in Prince William County, we found out that one of the allegations against her, at least according to the court files, is that she altered election results from the 2020 election. You heard me right. She altered them in some way. We don't know exactly how. But we know that's one of the core issues in the case because that's what her lawyer wrote in one of the files that Natalia got as a result of an open records request here at Just the News. Natalia is going to bring us up to speed on why that's an important case, what we know, what we still don't know, and what lies ahead. So that's a great show. Mike Huckabee, Brandon Arnold, and Natalia Middlestat. We're going to go from fiscal responsibility to election integrity over the next hour. Now, before we take a quick commercial break, I want to remind you of my good friends at Birch Gold Group. They are the people I trust more than any to make the right investment for you in physical precious metals and particularly diversifying your savings and your retirement savings at a time when the markets and the economy are so volatile. Right now, Birch Gold Group is offering its most popular special of the year. Now through December 22nd, for every $5,000 you spend with Birch Gold, they're going to send you a one ounce Silver Eagle coin for free. You heard me right. One ounce 
silver eagle coin for free that's a great deal all you got to do to take advantage of that text the word just news to 98 98 98 one more time text the word just news to 98 98 98 and birch gold will send you all the information you need to figure out how you can get a one ounce silver eagle coin for free every time you invest five thousand dollars in precious metals through my good friends there so you can purchase gold and silver and have it shipped directly to your home or have birch gold's precious metal specialists help you convert an existing ira or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. No money out of pocket. That's a good deal. You can just make the conversion. I trust Birch Gold. I hope you will too. The first way to get started, just learn about them. What you're going to do when you text the word just news to 989898, you're not only going to claim your eligibility for that free one-ounce Silver Eagle coin, you're also going to get a incredible info guide that will tell you how to go through the process, how to make it work for you. Now, as you know, Birch Gold has an incredible A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, including myself, and now, I'm certain, is the best time to buy gold from Birch Gold. Just text the word Just News to 989898 and claim your eligibility for a free silver on qualifying purchases. But you got to hurry. You only have until December 22nd to make it happen. All right, when we come back, the former governor of Arkansas, one of the most influential voices in all of conservative politics, Mike Huckabee, up next. (music) Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it, with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Folks, Factors delicious ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, plus veggie, and so much more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutritional-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. If you're like me and have a busy schedule that the last thing you want to worry about is what to eat or having to go to the grocery store, Factor makes it easy. As they are flexible to your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, usually in just two minutes. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Head to factormeals.com slash justnews50 and use the promo code justnews50 to get 50% off. That's the code justnews50 at factormeals.com. One more time, factormeals.com slash justnews50. Use the justnews50 code and you will get 50% off your first order. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. We've been talking a lot about what's next in the Israel-Hamas conflict and what will a post-Hamas-Israel look like? That's Those are big questions, particularly in Gaza. Our next guest knows an awful lot about the region. He has been there many times over the, over the last few decades. He understands the country. He understands the region. He understands the tensions that have been there for a long time. Joining us right now, former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee. Governor, good to have you on the show. Well, John, it's a pleasure always to visit with you. I, I feel like I always take away more from you than I ever can give to you. Oh. So it's a pleasure because I feel like uh, I'm making a deposit in my own brain. And uh, unfortunately, uh, you don't get much of a deposit. For you, it's all withdrawal. I object, Your Honor. You do. Uh, we were so uh, honored every time you come on. We learned so much from you. 
I'm fascinated because I know you're going back to Israel again in a few weeks. You've been there so many times. This is perhaps one of its most critical moments in the last 50 years of history. Can you tell us a little bit about where you think this conflict will ultimately end and what the Biden administration has done, maybe to confuse some of the messaging in it? Initially, the Biden administration uh, was spot on. They were standing with Israel without any equivocation. And I thought that the messages delivered by both President Biden and uh, Anthony Blinken were appropriate and right. And they were clear in their denunciation of Hamas and everybody who supported them. And they were also clear in their stand with Israel uh, and the fact that Israel had a right to eradicate Hamas. I think in the coming a uh, few weeks since that time, what we've seen is somewhat of a mixed message. They're still standing with Israel. They're still saying many of the right things, but it's pretty apparent that they're also trying to put a lot of pressure on Israel for ceasefire so that uh, Hamas will hopefully release hostages. I think we all want every hostage to go. Of course we do. No one would love to see that more. Um, especially those family members who are just absolutely distraught about where their relatives are. But here's the problem. What, what's happening is hostages are being released, but for every hostage, there are two Palestinian prisoners who are being released. And people need to understand, hostages are innocent civilians who were captured at gunpoint. The people being released out of Israeli jails are there for a reason. They stabbed a soldier. They tried to commit a suicide bombing. These are bad people. They're not in jail because they sang too loud at Shabbat. Uh, these are people who did terrible things, and they are in jail because they're terrorists or criminals. So it's not a fair exchange, and the Israelis are having to, uh, uh, I'm sure, hold their tongue and let these people out in order to get some hostages. But ultimately, Israel has no choice. They must go into Gaza they must wipe out Hamas, every last root of it. And they have to be clear that they'll never tolerate this kind of nonsense again, because uh, even a little bit of uh, the seedlings from it will grow into an even worse uh, version of Hamas if it's not eradicated. Uh, that's so wise. And that's exactly, it's so weird in the last few weeks after the really unequivocal support at the beginning of the war to see the Biden administration say, Israel, you can't do that. Israel, you can't do that. Oh, hold off on that. And they're literally constraining an independent power from conducting its own security operation, which, by the way, is well justified. And I think some people are getting frustrated to see that sort of meddling. And, of course, America obviously has a lot of sway in the world. We understand that. But shouldn't this be an Israel first security decision? Shouldn't they decide how and the manners in which they want to conduct their military operation? They have to. This is about their survival. They're not asking for more land. They don't want Gaza. They, they left out of Gaza in 2005. They took 10,000 Jews by force out of Gaza and said, you guys can have it. Well, they turned around two years later and voted Hamas into power, and it's become a hellhole ever since. People need to remember that Israel has never invaded another country and taken over land. Uh, Israel is only living and taking the space that was given to them 3,500 years ago in what uh, Abraham outlined and said, this is my promise. And they've been there since that time. There's never been a Palestinian state. When people talk about, well, we need a Palestinian state, my, my response would be, why? There's never been one. There hasn't. That's nonsense. And it's a lie that's been told in the political realm. And quite frankly, John, I think Republicans are as guilty as some of the Democrats in pushing this two-state solution, which is utter nonsense. You can't split the city of Jerusalem in half. You cannot give a government of this uh, made-up, uh, out-of-the-clear-blue, Yasser Arafat-created Palestinian nation uh, a piece of Israel because it makes no sense. You can't have people who don't think you should exist taking a governing role right next to you. we got to remember that right now Muslim countries control 644 times the landmass that Israel has. Israel is a tiny sliver of real estate that is a minute fraction of all of the land that is controlled by Muslim countries. So m my answer would be, if you want a two-state solution, lovely. 
See if Egypt would like to carve out a piece of land or Jordan or Syria or Saudi Arabia or the Emirates, uh, the Emiratis. And if they want to give a piece of land and say, this is the new Palestine and these people that call themselves Palestinians, which, by the way, Jews call themselves Palestinians until 1962 because it was a geographical term, not a political and not an economic term. And it wasn't a geopolitical uh, region. So that would make more sense. But Israel right now is in a fight for its survival. They, having escaped the Holocaust, went to uh, a land that was theirs from 3,500 years ago, uh, finally having a place to call home. They cannot allow their homeland to be invaded by people who viciously rape women in front of their children, rip open the wombs of a pregnant woman in front of her children, and destroy both the baby and her, and put little babies in ovens while they're alive. You cannot tolerate that. And frankly, the entire human race should say, we stand with Israel, and we will absolutely stand against this anti-Semitic hatred of Jewish people, because it ultimately is a reflection against civilization itself. Yeah, that is so well put. I remember back in 2014, I know the stated position of most Western countries is we don't negotiate with terrorists. We don't pay for prisoners. We don't pay for uh, release of hostages. And there's a reason for that because it, it encourages it. But since the Bo Bergdahl uh, transfer in 2014, when we gave five Taliban prisoners back to get Bo Bergdahl, deserter back, there seems to be a cottage industry that terrorists are more emboldened today than ever before to take hostages. And then there is either a money or a three to one, you know, crazy uh, equation of releasing really bad people for innocence. Has the the uh, policies of what started in the Obama era and continued in the Biden era of paying and consolidating and conciliating two terrorists, has it created a cottage industry now? I mean, if you're a terrorist, do you think like, oh, this is a good idea to keep taking hostages? Well, of course they do. And and that's the tragedy. You know, if, if my son or daughter is a hostage, uh, my brother, my, or I don't have a brother, but if I, if I had a brother, certainly my sister, uh, I'm going to say, do whatever you have to do. I want my family member home. And I totally understand that. I'm sympathetic to it. But from the big picture, if you ever start making deals with kidnappers and hostage takers, all you do is invite more of it because now they know what it takes to get concessions, whether it's a ceasefire or whether it's their own criminals and terrorist brothers released. And that's something we have to weigh in all of this. And I'm sure it's weighing heavily upon uh, Netanyahu and the Israeli government. But they also have an enormous pressure from the people of their country saying, at all costs, at any cost, let's get our people home. John, it is interesting to me that of all these hostages that have been released, and thank God for everyone that has, they're not Americans. Uh, there was one who was dual citizenship, but that's it. And you'd like to think that if Joe Biden really had some stick, he'd be able to get the Americans out first because they should have nothing to do with this. Uh, this is not about them. This is about Israel and the hatred of Hamas and these uh, terrorist groups against them, all funded by Iran, by the way, 93 percent funded by Iran. So why aren't we getting the Americans out? And I'm not sure that Joe Biden in this administration has been forceful enough to all of the Arab nations, to Qatar, who is uh, allowing the heads of Hamas to live in luxury in their hotels, uh, all the way down to the terrorists themselves and just saying, you e either let our people go or there won't be a speck of dust left uh, where you're currently standing. And that's harsh, but that's what it sometimes takes because these folks know one thing and one thing only, uh, brute force. Yeah. That's right. That's a you punch a bully right in the mouth. That's the only way to get anything done. I want to step for a second into one of the crises that perhaps is the most looming for America's future, and that is the continued accumulation of just insufferable debt. Thirty-four trillion soon could be on the way to thirty-six, thirty-seven trillion in the next couple of years. The Republicans used to own this. They used to be the party that wanted to reduce debt, get back to the balanced budget. It happened for a while under Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton. But for most of the last two decades, it doesn't matter who's in control. Debt goes up, spending goes up. Is there a moment where Republicans are now to stiffen their back and really try to create the first 
reversal in spending rises and the first plan towards reducing debt? Do you see the sort of leadership necessary to get that done? Not in Washington, I don't. I think it may come from the states, and it may even bubble up from the people themselves. Uh, I'm part of a group that's a national committee, the Balanced Budget Committee. It consists mostly of former and current governors and several former senators, all of whom believe that this is a serious crisis that we have to begin to address. Our goal is to get the balanced budget amendment into the Constitution that would say that Congress doesn't have a choice. It, it will put Congress in the same place where 49 states already are, and that is by law. You balance your budget. The only state that does not require it by law is Vermont. But to their credit, Vermont balances their budget anyway because they know it's the right and prudent thing to do. The reason we're in such trouble with this is because everybody loves Santa Claus. And what we're seeing is that Congress has become the Santa Claus of the world. And they love giving out free stuff. The only problem is they're borrowing from our grandchildren and great-grandchildren to be Santa Claus and to put the toys in his bag. And they're more than happy to give out the ho, 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 and here's all your gifts. And the people who receive them never say, hey, by the way, just who paid for this? And the truth is your grandkids did. Good luck. Hope they're going to enjoy uh, a wrecked economy because some of you got some what you thought was free stuff, but turns out it wasn't so free after all. Yeah, that's it. And we've gotten this culture <laughs> of free stuff. It's interesting, particularly young people feel like it's an entitlement. And boy, it comes with a big cost on the back end. It really is remarkable. As that happens in a state to drive that process, because I think you're right, it doesn't seem like it's happening in Washington. The the appropriators like too much to appropriate, it appears, even if you're a Republican. There's another question. What will the Republicans message? What will it really be standing for in 2024 president? Former President Trump clearly has perhaps the most detailed agenda I've seen of any of the candidates on the Republican side. People know what he's going to do when he gets in office. Does the party itself under the current leadership and the RNC and others, is it, it seems like it's struggling with who it is and how it messages, whether it's abortion or fiscal responsibility. Is it in a lull? Does it need a jumpstart, a little bit of cardiac paddles maybe to get better messaging? Uh, yeah, I'd say that the messaging is flatlined. And we need to keep it simple. The worst thing is when the Republicans come out with a 17-point plan. Nobody can remember that. Keep it simple. We're the party that wants to get back where you can afford gas, groceries, and a trip to grandma's. And we're the party that wants to protect our borders and protect uh, babies and the most innocent among us. I mean, if you kept it as simple as that, it would be a big improvement. And there are some variations of it. But the fact is, everybody, every single American family, even the Democrats, understand that they're paying more for gas and groceries than they did when Donald Trump was president. They know the border was more secure. They know that America wasn't involved in shooting wars, and uh, they know that there were not the invasions that we've seen in the Ukraine and Israel. All of this is because we have weak leadership and Deep down, Americans understand it. It's why over 70 percent of the American population thinks we're on the wrong track. And Joe Biden's numbers are absolutely underwater. Uh, I'd hate to be a Democrat trying to sell Bidenomics right now. It's, it's like the captain of the Titanic telling everybody, <laughs> hey, I know the ship is sinking, but we're going to identify this ship as a submarine now. So everything will be just fine. Yeah. From a perspective, I can't think of another time, maybe since the Carter era, where there is a Democrat president with such weaknesses. I mean, every measure of the American people is in grave opposition to what Joe Biden has done on the economy, on security, on the border. Do our Democrats attempt to make a switch or do you think Joe Biden sticks it out and uh, then tries to fight hand to hand combat in the fall election next year? I think they would all love to see someone else step up. But who's it going to be? It can't be Kamala Harris. She makes Joe Biden look like Ronald Reagan. So <laughs> what are they going to do? Unless he decides he's going to step down, uh, it's a very difficult thing to tell an incumbent president, Joe, there's the door. I know it's hard for you to find it, but we're going to lead you over to it. Uh, that's a tough sell. And unless he comes to his own conclusion that he's not capable of being president for another four years, and my gosh, I don't know what it takes when they lit the candles on his birthday cake, 
it was a four alarm fire in D.C. I mean, it was just a reminder of this guy is really up there. But the biggest problem is not how many uh, years he's been on Earth. It's that he's gotten to a place where he's cognitively impaired to a level that even his friends have to be able to see it. Yeah, that's clearly the discussions. And when you look out of the field, obviously everyone has this excitement in the Democratic Party for Michelle Obama. I don't think from any signs that she's given that she's interested in that. Then you're left, maybe if you don't do it with Kamala Harris, you end up looking at maybe Gavin Newsom, but the Republican could not run against just Gavin Newsom. They could run across all the zany things in California, that California is sort of the liberal teapot. Is there anyone that you look out and say, boy, that would be a formidable opponent, more formidable than Joe Biden on the left? Or do they have a bench problem right now? They have a real bench problem right now. And a lot of it is that in the Senate and House, they don't have any credible leaders. Can't be Adam Schiff. It's certainly going to be Maxine Waters or Jerry Nadler or any of those folks who have been their most visible players. And among the governors, there really aren't any that just stand out as having done significant things in improving education or transportation. Uh, they have some that aren't incompetent, but none that have been the kind of of true leaders at the national level or even at the state level that would cause people to say, yeah, I'd love to see those policies put on America. It certainly isn't Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, Whitmer. It can't be uh, people like that. Maybe Polis in uh, Colorado is the closest thing they got. Yeah, I think that's right from the folks I've talked to in the polling that we've seen. Governor, it's always an honor to have you on. You always have such a sense of clarity in your show. Is why when My wife and I were just watching the show over the weekend. We couldn't stop laughing. You had a, um, a comedian with a parrot on. I had tears in my eyes. But yeah, the way you blend <laughs> humor and wisdom together is such an art. And we're so grateful for that and grateful for your time today. Thank you, John. Always a distinct pleasure to visit with you. Look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it much. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Brandon Arnold from the National Taxpayers Union. Will a commission on fiscal responsibility make a difference in Congress? I think Brandon has the answer. It depends on how it's structured. But we'll get into that right after these messages. Folks, if you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car, we know what it is. It's old-fashioned theft. It's crime. We know it. Criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset, our homes. Older Americans are most vulnerable to these types of thefts, and that's because they more often own their homes outright. An 88-year-old Florida woman recently discovered that scammers forged her signature, created a fake deed to her home, and then took her property. Those who buy a property from a deed theft scammer often become victims as well. What can you do to protect yourself? It's simple. My good friends at Home Title Lock provide the premier detection technology to protect your home and its title. The instant they detect an activity or something suspicious, they mobilize to help shut it down. We won't know a thief took us off our title until it's too late. That's why Title Lock jumps into action right away. The titles to all our homes are easily found online. A criminal or renter, even a family member, can simply forge your signature on a home sale form. Then he or she refiles as the new owner, and bam, your home is not in your name, and all of a sudden, debts are being taken out against it. That's why Home Title Lock is my choice. Find out for free when you use my code JUSTNEWS at sign up. You'll get a free comprehensive scan of your home's title and 30 days of legendary home title lock protection free. So go to hometitlelock.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS at hometitlelock.com. Go there today. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook uh, uh, vegetable dinners, and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning, and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down, and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? 
It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you 100% money-back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick House Nutrition and, of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. I want to stay on a topic that we just finished up with, with Governor Huckabee, the willingness, the capability of Washington to fix its spending problem, which really is its debt problem, which is really its inflation problem, because all three are intimately integrated into the bad decisions that have been made for some long time. Now, really, a couple of decades of chronic spending above the credit card limits of the United States. Our next guest, one of the most cogent voices when it comes to fiscal responsibility, not only in Washington, but in all of our great states in this country. He's the executive vice president of the National Taxpayers Union, and he is Brandon Arnold. He joins us right now. Brandon, great to have you back on the show. Thanks so much, John. I think more than any time that I've been a journalist the last 35 years, a question I get more frequently than ever before is will they ever stop spending? Will they ever stop running out the credit card? When do we get some fiscal responsibility? When does the deficit go down? When does the spending of the government go down? And the hard answer is, I thought maybe after House Republicans took over, there'd be that moment, in the, but it hasn't happened. Give us your honest assessment. Uh, do House Republicans have any chance before the 2024 election to turn the spending spigot down at all? Well, let me start by trying to be as optimistic as I can, because I think it's actually a really good sign that you're getting that question repeatedly. In the past, I think people just kind of forgot about the national debt as a public policy problem. It disappeared. Uh, it, it kind of fell off our radar. And if there was a silver lining in the pandemic is that it brought it back, inflation in particular, brought it back into the center of the national discourse. People said, oh, my goodness, there's actually a cost associated with running trillion dollar deficits oh my goodness, when I go to the grocery store, the gas station, whatever, all of a sudden everything's really expensive. And part of that problem results is, is directly tied back to our, our inability to restrain federal spending. So I think more than ever, people at the grassroots level, people who actually have to pay for these higher costs outside of Washington are waking up to this, the cold, hard reality of what's taking place in the nation's capital. So I think that's a good sign. But you know, at the same time, uh, it takes a long time to turn that battleship around, that, that cruiser around. And we've just been on this fast-paced course toward fiscal responsibility for so many years, under so many different presidents, under so many different Congresses, red, blue, Republican, Democrat, they've all kind of been pushing in the same direction. So to turn that around, it's, it's going to take more than, than a new Republican House. It's going to take, you know, ideally, a president, uh, a, a Senate and a house that all are aligned in trying to address this problem, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, I really don't care at this point. If they're pointing in the right direction here and trying to restrain the size and growth of the federal government, then um, let's roll up our sleeves and get to work. Yeah. There is interesting, and I think you, you hit on something that is important. It is in the public consciousness in a way that it hasn't been for a long time. <laughs> During the time it wasn't in the public consciousness, $20, $30 trillion of debt kind of rolled up. And so there's that moment of people now saying, hey, I understand that when I go to the grocery store, when I go to the gas station, when I go and get a home repair and I need a new furnace or a new HVAC system, it's kind of tied to what Washington's been doing. And I think that that knowledge, that daisy chaining of what I'm experiencing at the front end of my life to what, what's been going on in Washington, that is a really major development in the last year or two from the Bidenomics sort of outcome. How important is the push for a fiscal commission? I know Bill Hazwanga and others have begun pushing for this. It seems like the new speaker, Mike Johnson, is in favor of it. Is this sort of a moment where the intensity of light really gets turned up and real solutions are identified, or is it just another way to kick the discussion down the road a little bit? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the, the trillion-dollar question here, because the, the answer could be yes, it could be no. It really depends on how this commission is structured. It could be just a complete political canard here. They could structure this 
that have no teeth. This commission will get together. They'll put out a 50-page or 150-page report providing all these options for Congress to cut spending, to trim our entitlement programs, and so forth. And Congress could throw that in the dumpster, and that would be the end of it. Uh, but a well-constructed fiscal commission, one that actually has teeth that can put recommendations directly into committees or directly onto the floor of the House and Senate and force them to vote on these proposals and these ideas, you know, that, that could help to break this logjam and start to turn things in the right direction here. So I think that's why it's so important, not just to say yes to fiscal mission or no, but to say yes, and here's how it has to look. Yeah, and that uh, that is the key. It's the teeth of this commission. If it could actually force things to happen on the floor, at least cause people to make a declaration where they stand on some of the important spending issues of our time, that could be really consequential if it's just recommendations that can go on the shelf alongside Erskine Bowles and uh, the Bowles-Simpson report, then, uh, well, then we haven't really gained anything. It'll be interesting to see. As you look and you're, you have your finger on the pulse, which way is the, the team around Mike Johnson seeming to be um, leaning? Are they leaning towards a more uh, toothy uh, and consequential uh, uh, fiscal commission or just a rubber uh, or a, uh, uh, I want to say a rubber stamp, but really a just a, a report, an academic exercise. Yeah, I, I think his team, and he, he's still in the process of building his team, but the speaker and the team that he's building is very much committed to a fiscal commission that functions properly. And I would say that is reflected as well by the House Budget Chairman, Jody Arrington of Texas, very, very committed to addressing this problem. Now, a lot can be lost on the way, because we still need to get this through the entire House of Representatives, through the Senate, signed by the president. So there's a lot to be done. It can be watered down during that process. But I think we are going to start with a very strong product. And I don't know, you mentioned a few bills. I don't, I don't know which bill they will run with, but I think the fact that they're starting this process and legitimately trying to get a good solution is encouraging. And again, I'm trying to remain as optimistic as I possibly can be. Yeah, yeah, I know what it's a, it's a it's a really consequential moment and there could be some real significant outcomes. The ideal scenario for House Republicans who ran on the idea that they would get fiscal houses in order, uh, then they didn't get their spending bills done by the deadline, then there was one CR, then there's two CRs, but there is a moment now, a moment of goodwill, a moment of uh, potential uh, consensus, what would be a, a statement that the House Republicans can do with the remainder of the fiscal 2024 20, year to tell the voters that sent them there in the last election, hey, we heard you, we got something done. Is it 1%, 2%? Is any reduction in spending uh, the, uh, going to send the right message or does it need to be something more dramatic between now and next November? I mean, I, I think if we are reducing spending relative to last year's enacted levels, then that's a win. And it's not as big a win as, as I would like, as you would like. But I think if we can get that across the finish line, then again, it, we're building that momentum that we need to start turning that ship around. So I, I think anything less than, than last year's enacted levels is a victory. It's, it's a very difficult process, though, because you have so many parochial interests associated with all of these spending bills, and not just Democrats parochial interest, but, you know, Republicans wanting to plus up the Defense Department, a lot of Republicans, uh, a lot of farm state Republicans looking at the agriculture bill and saying there's cuts there are too deep. So there are all these different vested interests. If we can just start to cut spending even just a little bit and see, listen, the sky isn't going to fall. We're not going to face any kind of disastrous outcomes here if we cut in an intelligent fashion. Um, then I think that, that the tide will turn and we'll build up momentum heading into uh, the, the, the subsequent appropriations process, which really isn't that far away at this point. Literally, they're going to wrap this one up. They better get started right away on the next one because uh, the, the timetable is already compressed. Um, you've been talking about another piece of this inflation equation. Obviously, spending is a big part. All the money that's just thrown on a burning hot fire clearly has brought inflation up, and the Biden administration clearly miscalculated. It wasn't transitory. Um, it has it is persistent and and all of us are paying for it but there's a piece of the uh, of the uh, of the problem the uh, the challenge for america and that is the supply chain there's not enough people talking about it. we talked about it during uh, covid for a while and then oh, we got done with covid like oh, we'll forget about that but the supply chain and america's inability to produce in house what it needs uh, the, its uh, potential exposure being at the mercy of 
a frenemy or an enemy like China. Uh, This fell off the table, but it probably is one of the two or three most important issues of our time. Tell us a little bit about what uh, where the, the debate stands, the policy solutions stand on the supply chain, and what needs to be done to accelerate a meaningful solution. Yeah, it was, it was almost comical that, that Biden came out and announced this new task force, announced this new approach to addressing supply chains. Because like you said, it, it is such a critical issue. It is one of the biggest drivers of inflation. And if we go back you know, to the onset of the Biden administration, right when inflation was starting to creep its ugly head into our economy, uh, he dumped all of this, like literally trillions of dollars onto that fire. And that's when we had this rampant inflation. But it started with supply chain problems that were as a, largely a result of, uh, of the pandemic of a lot of countries shutting down their manufacturing capabilities and, and logistic capabilities and so forth. So, you know, we, we can't kind of unwind and get back to 2020 again here. We need to rebuild a lot of these supply chains. And as you said, a lot of that is, um, is, is, is really relocating manufacturing presence, uh, getting raw materials from different sources in order to have that security where we're not as reliant on frenemies and enemies, China, uh, Russia, and, and so forth. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. But, you know, Biden has like a ridiculous approach here. He, he created this new, just announced the creation of this new council on supply chain resistance which seems like a, a day short and dollar late or the other way around, actually. Uh, it, 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 sounds, it sounds like, a, you know, the, when you look back at 2021, he created the Supply Chain Disruptions Task Force. Now we have the Council on Supply Chain Resilience. It, it sounds like it comes out of a Monty Python sketch. We're just moving the words around. But at the end of the day, the bureaucrats in Washington aren't going to fix this. People in the free market are. And what the Biden administration has done is gum up logistics, gum up the supply chain further, because we have higher energy costs, which are a huge input to, uh, to logistics. When you talk about moving trains and, and ships across large bodies of water, uh, he's ramped up labor costs by, you know, basically doing everything that the big labor unions in Washington want, mandating union labor on every single project that the federal government has any interaction with. All these things gum up the, uh, the supply chain further, and it's a reason, it's a reason why we've had lasting inflation at a time when, you know, it should be falling at a much quicker rate than it actually is. Yeah, it is pretty remarkable. And the decisions that he's making for what he calls the new energy economy actually tip us more into a supply chain crisis. Because if you go with electric energy, well, who has all of the lithium right now? China does. And then now I've seen some U.S. energy companies in recent weeks step into the void. They're saying, oh, we can't let this keep going on. But you look around, um, the current energy uh, pushes actually are going to exacerbate supply chain and also exacerbate the cost of energy, which is only going to drive inflation up again. Uh, there is a real disconnect in the strategy and, and the needs of the American people. Uh, is that uh, only something that can be fixed with an election at this point? It doesn't seem like the Biden administration is dialed into a common sense thing. We're more dependent on Russian uranium for our nuclear power plants. We're more dependent than we were when Donald Trump handed the keys over on oil from foreign countries, particularly places like Venezuela, Iran, other places like that. Uh, and uh, we're incredibly dependent on China for solar and uh, batteries. Uh, no sense, do you have any sense that the Biden administration appreciates uh, that its strategies are actually tipping the supply chain to an even tougher position? Uh, you're making it really hard for me to be optimistic here. I'm trying to be, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny, he just keeps going back to, to the well, you know, when it's EV subsidies, it's, it's wind turbines. And, you know, all that stuff may help down the road. I'm, I, I'm not really sure, but all that stuff may help down the, the road when you talk about climate change and so forth. I don't know. But I know right now, we talk about the immediate needs of the American people. You're talking about lower energy costs. You're talking about, you know, security in terms of not relying on foreign unstable countries to get our basic needs. We saw this flame up uh, recently with the baby formula shortage. That's one of the problems there. Perfect example, right? Yeah. Like we were putting parents in a inordinate amount of distress, whether they could feed their child or not. When meanwhile, I understand if we don't want to get baby formula from Shady Factory in China, but there were, there were friendly countries in Europe that were producing baby formula 
all we need to do is bring that here and we'll make people's lives a lot better. Now, in the long term, maybe we want to reshore. Maybe we want to have additional manufacturing capabilities in this country. But in the short term, let's just bring that in from, from safe, friendly countries in Europe where they have high consumer product standards and so forth. Like, it's just nonsense. We've had this bifurcated idea or that, that we, you know, we can't trade with, with, with anybody because, uh, you know, risk national security. We need to have a, an embrace of trading with countries like Canada and Australia and Europe and Japan that have stable economies, that have standards that are comparable to our own. And yes, we need to be a little bit more thoughtful and a little bit more even protective when it comes to dealing with Iran and China and other bad actors out there. But, but we just haven't really mastered that yet. And that's really snarled our, our supply chains. And it's created these, these shortages. It's created energy insecurity. It's created just the inability for our manufacturing sector to get the materials that they need to, to build things and to create jobs in this country. And Biden just hasn't gotten that. Yeah. Now that's um, pretty extraordinary to see um, what comes next in the process. And, and uh, the gaps keep getting bigger. It's, it's funny when you talk to people on the front lines of corporate America and the front lines of energy, um, uh, energy industry, they see this gap just widening and they're like, oh, stop, stop, somebody stop the world. We got to get off for a second. There just is a disconnect. That said, there are a lot of smart people right now uh, in uh, the think tanks that are preparing for the next election, for the next administration that are really coming up with big ideas. Obviously, uh, Brandon, you're, you guys are doing a lot of important work at the National Taxpayers Union to create common sense plans uh, for the next government, the next president, the next executive branch, the next Congress to change things. So while we're tipping towards what feels like a really untenable position, uh, an election could really radically change the approach of the country quickly. Tell us a little bit about all the important work that you're doing at NTU, that you know Heritage and AFPA. There's a lot of people working on the next agenda, right? The agenda that actually could reverse and put America on a better footing. That's probably the most optimistic thing in the works right now, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of organizations working uh, behind the scenes right now to create an agenda. You know, obviously, we have a tough time with this president and, and with the Senate that, that doesn't do much of anything, but when it acts, doesn't really do things the right way, um, by and large. Uh, but, you know, setting that blueprint out for the year 2025, when we very well may have a new president, when the Congress will, will look different, I don't know which way the winds will blow, uh, but creating that agenda so we know Here's what we need to do on tax policy, because we have some huge inflection points coming up with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 7, 2017, large portions of that falling off the books. Um, you know, obviously, we need to address regulatory policy. That's been a huge area of emphasis. And, and we've seen that not just under the Biden administration, but under previous administrations as well, usurping the power of Congress, centralizing it within the executive branch, and then essentially dictating uh, parts of the economy that, that really should be under the purview of the legislative branch. We need to unwind that and we need to have a legislative approach rather than a regulatory approach to everything that ails this country. Um, so there's a lot to unwind on the regulatory front. Uh, I mentioned uh, trade policy, I think certainly healthcare policy. Uh, uh, costs are, are just rampant and, and Biden's approach here is I think completely wrongheaded. He wants to use the Defense uh, Production Act to essentially take over the pharmaceutical industry in some ways to tell them what to manufacture and what not to manufacture. We shouldn't have that kind of top-down approach. The, the, the list goes on and on, as you know very well, John. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done, and, and people that are far smarter than I are fortunately putting together these blueprints that will hopefully be taken up by, uh, by the president, the next president, and the next Congress and, and run with and implement it into law. Yeah, that's the opportunity. That's the reason for optimism, which is that there are people really working on solutions and uh, they'll be at the ready should there be an electoral change in, in November 2024. I, I want to finish with something that may be um, one of those surprise uh, moments. So we had a good opening to the holiday uh, Christmas uh, shopping season. Uh, a significant shift away from box stores to online. That's been a continuation. Uh, prices came down a little bit, which is a sign that uh, uh, the retail industry is trying to lure people in by lowering prices since people are tired of inflation. So toys were down, computers were down. But you issued a very 
very stark warning, which is don't get over your skis, accumulate a lot more debt because after the first of the year, the the economy has a real chance of t- uh, tipping down. Talk a little bit about the holiday euphoric spending and its potential consequences should the economy uh, hit a bump in the first quarter like a lot of people fear right now. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the reasons why we're seeing a lot of really deep discounts in the retail space right now, these aggressive price points that retailers are putting out there is because they're worried about consumer spending going forward because they know they have to be aggressive to make those deals. Now they want to clear out as much inventory because they don't know what consumer behavior is going to look like. And if anything, they're pessimistic about consumer behavior for uh, for 2024. And I, I share that concern. Um, we've seen credit card debt just absolutely skyrocket over the past couple of years. We're well over a trillion dollars. It's the highest it's ever been in this country. So you just wonder, are consumers maxing out their credit cards? Are they getting leveraged to a point where they're not going to have that disposable income? They're not going to have access to credit because we know credit card companies and other lenders are actually tightening their standards right now, making it more difficult for people to, to get credit cards or to get a mortgage or an auto loan or what have you. So as those standards tighten up and as consumers max out their credit cards, and uh, other lines of credit, are we going to see a drop-off in consumer spending? My sense is I think there's a good chance that we will. And you think the economy is more than two-thirds driven by consumer spending. So if that starts to dip, we have broad concerns across the economy. We're going to see less economic output. We're going to see a decline in our economic numbers. So that could mean all sorts of horrible things. I don't want to use the R word, but we could see negative economic growth. We could see a reduction in available jobs. We've already started to see a little bit of weakening in what had been a very strong labor market. Fewer hires uh, reported in the last uh, economic report that came out of the, the census department. So there's a lot of stuff happening right now uh, that, that that do give me concern, making me end on a on a pessimistic note, John. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I would advise to consumers, yeah, take advantage of those deals, but don't overextend yourself. You definitely want to have that buffer there, that those savings that you can rely on in the event of some sort of unfortunate economic uh, downturn. Yeah, uh, no doubt. Uh, caution is the uh, the best side of wisdom, no doubt about it. If you're cautious, and then you won't, you won't feel the impact if you're already preparing ahead for it. And I think that's what makes NTU particularly so important. You guys are excellent at seeing what's over the horizon and getting people the information. One last thing, because we always worry about the IRS. We always have our eye on the IRS. A big blink for the second year in a row, the IRS suspended or delayed its plan to start uh, creating uh, required tax forms for any money that came in via Venmo or uh, other uh, eBay, other places to uh, down to $600 has now become reportable. They blinked at the last uh, moment. This was going to be a major nightmare for taxpayers, wasn't it? Oh, an absolute disaster on the horizon here. So it's, and it's a weird situation because on one hand, I'm glad that the IRS delayed it because it would have been such a headache for everyday Americans that, that use Venmo, that sold tickets on StubHub, uh, maybe you know paid their roommate for rent on PayPal. All these people would have been getting confusing tax, ret- tax forms in the mail, and they would have, in some instances, thought that that was all taxable liability. It probably wasn't. It may have been. You know, it requires some additional research, and it, it, it would have just been a huge nightmare. And I don't think the IRS, the IRS actually admitted they didn't have a plan on how to deal with the tens of millions of additional forms that were going to go out to people, all the phone calls they were going to get, all the confusion that was going to cause. So, yes, I'm glad that the IRS delayed it for the second year in a row. But did they have the statutory authority to do so? I don't think so. I think they're kind of coloring outside the lines here. And we should be concerned when the IRS does things that is not statutory statutorily allowed to do, even if the end result is a positive one, because if they can act outside of the law on this issue in a positive way, what else can they do in in ways that are harmful to taxpayers? So there's a lot of concern on Capitol Hill. I know the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, Jason Smith, is very, very concerned about the IRS's actions here. And I'm sure there's going to be some hearings in the near future to get to the bottom of what the IRS is thinking. Yeah, very important. And like you said, probably a great amount of heartburn averted for this tax season, but it's still sitting out there because of the passage of the law. And uh, this is going to be an interesting debate to see what what happens in uh, tax year 2024, because 
That seems to be the year that some of these judgments will come due. Uh, Brandon, it is always an honor to have you on. It's always fun to see the great work that you and all of our friends at NTU does. For folks who want to stay in touch with the National Taxpayers Union, what's the best way for them to uh, stay in touch with all the great work, your rating system? You get this great rating system so you can look up your congressperson and understand where they stand, where your senator stands. How do we stay best connected to all the great work of NTU? Well, thanks for the kind words, first of all. But um, NTU.org is our website. We're, of course, on all sorts of social media, Facebook, Twitter. We have a YouTube page. You can watch clips, including clips of your television show that when you were kind enough to allow me on the program. So all that information can be found uh, can be found there. Check us out. We appreciate any kind of feedback that your your listeners and your viewers might have for us. We're always, always try to keep an open ear and, and try to accept as much feedback as we possibly can. Yeah, no, it's it's great. Our audience loves you because you you give us real facts, and and so many so few people are talking about the the crushing effect of debt, the crushing effect of the IRS, and some of its works on innovation, on the budget, on everyday Americans' lives. That you are such a unique uh, and valued voice in America. So it's such a great great to have you on, and I know we'll have you on soon on the TV show, and of course here back here at John Solomon Reports as well. Thanks so much for joining us, Brandon. Thanks so much, John. Really appreciate it. Yeah, great conversation. All right, folks, one more good one to go. Natalia Middlestadt, up next, right after these messages. Hey, folks, it's John Solomon here. Today, I want to shine a light on AMAC, an organization who's dedicated to America's seniors, but is vital for conservatives of all ages. AMAC stands out by not only advocating for senior issues, but also by pushing for conservative values that affect us all. By joining, you're not just supporting our senior citizens, you're part of a movement defending the freedoms that made this country great and to ensure that we secure our nation's future. Plus, membership brings you exclusive benefits like discounts on travel, dining, and entertainment, and of course, special insurance rates, one of the things I like. Regardless of your age, if you're driven to preserve freedom, AMAC welcomes you. This is about uniting youthful vigor with the wisdom of experience and our quest to keep this country great. Sign up now for amac.us slash justnews. And for a limited time, you get a free gift membership for someone else who shares your love for our great nation. Don't miss out on this chance to make a difference from AMAC. Join today at amac.us slash justnews. That's amac.us slash justnews and extend the invitation to a friend or family member for free. What a great opportunity. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA, and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS, they know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Earlier this morning, if you were perusing Just the News, you would have seen a very important headline from my extraordinary colleague here at Just the News, Natalia Middlestadt. The headline is simple. Court papers say ex-Virginia election official on trial altered election results in 2020 election. Now, you heard me right. The court documents say that there is someone charged with properly counting the vote, who altered the election results in Prince William County, Virginia. Just for disclosure, I live in Prince William County. The official involved has been indicted. Her her name is Michelle White. She's the former general registrar, basically the top election official in the county, for at least for the part that involves getting people registered and counting votes. Uh, It's a pretty jarring headline. Uh, There's been a lot of secrecy about this case. But my colleague, Natalia, she dug in. She put an open records request. We got more information now than at any time in the last two years since these charges were filed. And we're lucky right now to be joined by Natalia herself. Natalia, great scoop. Important news. Tell us the top line on this. Thanks. Yeah. So 
Um, basically, in September of last year, uh, Michelle White was indicted by a grand jury on three different counts um, regarding the 2020 election. Two of them were felonies, alleging corrupt conduct as an election official and making a false statement, and the other is a misdemeanor of willful neglect of duty by of duty by an election officer. So um, basically, right now, from the uh, documents we got from the circuit court regarding uh, Michelle White's case, she has. It seems like there's even some ambiguity on the uh, defense's part. They're kind of like uh, we're a little confused as to what actions um, she's being charged with. But what they did know for sure was that um, she's one allegation from the Virginia Attorney General's office is that she altered election results within the state reporting system um, and that her alterations resulted in the false reporting of the election results from the county. And so that is currently the information that we have from the court documents. Yeah. And the specifics of how those election results were altered or how significant they were, not clear, although I guess Prince William County, her successor saying, well, it wouldn't have changed the outcome. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, that's what um, Eric Olson, the current general registrar, said, that it didn't change the outcome of any election contest that year. That said, it's kind of jarring, I think, to people to think that, well, we vote. This is the most precious right that men and women in armed services have fought for for 250 years to preserve. And somebody felt comfortable changing an election result. It gives that addition of all the great work you've done in the last year, another example of the, an election system that has more problems than the perfect election narrative that I think a lot of people have tried to impose on the American people, particularly in the media. We had Iran hacking a voter database in 2020. You've got all the things you've chronicled in Georgia, all the things you've chronicled in Arizona. And now you have this one where, you know, in Virginia, another one of those big battleground states, an election official stands accused of doing some sort of altering of the election results, something that we just take for granted that, hey, these votes are going to be counted correctly and accurately. Don't worry about it. What is the state of Americans' confidence in their election system after all these revelations that you've really been on the forefront of? Yeah, well, as the polls have been showing, uh, Americans' uh, confidence in election system has been going down um, over the last several years. And so, um, but just seems to uh, keep being perpetuated by all these issues that are coming up. And especially when there have been issues that have occurred over the years with different election regularities and people are, you know, basically told, oh, no, this is, um, you know, false, you know, this is fake news or false information. Um, and then later you find out, no, here's actually the evidence that proved it. Um, I think really doubles down on uh, people's mistrust of um, the uh how the election system is currently been running in various states and counties. Yeah, it's interesting. In every new episode, whether it's Georgia, what happened in Fulton County, what happened in Maricopa County in Arizona, each one adds to the concern. And I think really what you see is a system that has gotten a rubber stamp of approval, but might actually have some chinks in its armor that aren't getting fully addressed. Do you see any initiatives? It seems like Chairman Brian Style, head of the House Administration Committee, he's got a very important set of legislation reforms that he's working on. Is that the most likely vehicle to get some action before the next 2024 election? Yeah, it's certainly possible. Um, although the other issue, too, is you know, even if the House passes it, I don't know if the Senate will get it through and if President Biden will sign it. Um, but uh, it seems like there's definitely been um, a lot of grassroots efforts across the country trying to uh, reform elections on local levels and state levels. Um, and it seems like in a lot of instances that is uh, moving forward in several states, you know, working on passing constitutional amendments and um, statewide legislation to uh, shore up their uh, election administration. So hopefully that will be helpful and making sure the elections are, you know, run more efficiently and help boost voters' confidence in them. Yeah, that's the key, right? And you look what happened. Like, Georgia had a lot of reforms after the debate in 2020, and election voting went way up in 2022. And, oh, even Major League Baseball, which once accused the state of maybe having a, an unfair election law, it can, it's coming back to Atlanta next year, making up for, I think, perhaps one of its greatest regrets. But it's funny, if you make voting easy to do and cheating harder to do, people gain confidence in that system again. That seems to be the moment ahead of us federally if we can get some reforms done. Is there anything you're working on as you look out over the last few weeks? You, you continue to break really important stories. Any trend lines, any parallels where you're seeing in multiple states sort of either things that Democrats or, Rep or Republicans are trying to do that could be some of the storylines for the 2024 election? 
Um, well, with regard to drawing up elections, obviously voter ID is a big one that many um, states have been passing and um, making more uh, strict or um, solid in their states so that there's actually, um, you know, some uh, some results in helping making sure that people are actually who they say they are when they're voting, um, as there's also been issues with uh, voter rolls. Um, we've seen across many states that they just are not able to clean up their voter rolls very well. Um, and so having voter ID is, I think, a helpful way to um, kind of counteract that in some ways and making sure that, um, you know, the person is actually who they say they are. So um, I think that's definitely a big um, reform that states are working on um, across the country. Yeah, that could be really important. And um, as we know, a lot of these things end up getting settled in the courts. And so it'll be very interesting to see how what plays out on that over the next few months. Both sides, uh, Republicans and Democrats, have big lawfare strategies. So it'll be interesting to to see where, where they pick their battles and what rulings they get. As always, Natalia, you're doing such great work. You're so far ahead of all of the other news organizations and breaking some of these very important ones today. Again, Prince William County, the latest example. Always great to see your reporting and always proud to work right alongside you here at Just the News. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thank you. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Report. So grateful you can join. And oh, hey, by the way, if you want to qualify for that free silver offer from my good friends at Birch Gold Group, what's that offer? For every $5,000 you spend with Birch Gold between now and December 22nd, you're going to be qualified for a free one ounce silver eagle coin. All you got to do to get involved, text the word Just News to 989898. One more time. Just News to 989898. Hey, you don't get anything free in today's economy. Take advantage of this and get masterclass service in great diversification in your retirement or savings portfolio by putting some gold and silver in there. All right, folks, that wraps up today's edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Justin News. So grateful you can join. A big thank you to Mike Huckabee, to Brandon Arnold, and to Natalia Middlestop for some really engaging, enlightening in cutting-edge conversation. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition. Until then, God bless you and God bless this extraordinary country of the United States. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friend who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group. Text Just News to 989898 right now.